This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 233 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. 233? That's it? Well, yeah. Oh. Happy New Year! Yeah! Well, Tracy, first of all, we want to obviously start by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys and gals and dogs for everything that you do. Amen. Thank you guys so much. We thought about you guys over the holidays, and uh, we just want to say thank you for keeping us safe and protecting us. You guys are angels, and we love you. Absolutely. Also, it's that time of year. It seems like, you know, 2020 is gone, 2021 is here. Hallelujah. But it is still the holiday season, theoretically. And uh, a lot of people are in a rough time right now, and this is uh, when depression is at its all-time high is right around this time, and we just want to let people know we're thinking about you, and if you need to talk to somebody, obviously we're here, and we also have the group 5,000 Members Strong that is set up specifically to help you guys. Now, we have some fun in the group, too. I, I don't want people to misunderstand and think that the group is just nothing but a bunch of of people you know listen hard luck stories and stuff that's not the case i mean it is a place a safe place for people to come when they need help and they need to reach out to somebody but there's also a lot of fun stuff and we talk about the show and people post funny memes and stuff like that of course and we as a group have all survived 2020 together so we have got to be upbeat and know that this year is going to be just wonderful and we all have each other, and you guys can call us anytime. And if you feel like you don't want to talk to us, that's totally fine. You can call the uh, suicide hotline number at 1-800-273-8255, or you can text at 741-741. But just know that we are always here for you guys, day or night. Whenever you need to talk to somebody, please reach out. Absolutely. As usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. El Yucateco is in top 10 of all hot sauces in the United States. Hashtag King of Flavors. We had some at Josh's house on some enchiladas. And I did not really pay attention. I just grabbed a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And I just went to town on my enchilada. And then I took my first bite. And I was like, wow, it was so, well, number one, it was delicious, but it kind of threw me off because I didn't look at the bottle, which one I did, and it was hot. So, but it was so delicious. And Josh was like, hey, can we keep these here? And I'm like, crap. Yeah, we took three bottles to their house (laughs) because uh, they live up in Ohio about an hour away from us. Uh, Josh is Tracy's son as she 
feels like everybody knows who everybody oh, is. Oh, so sorry. Really <laughs> well, we've been family for so long. I just figured y'all know. I don't know. Yeah, so we went up there and we brought three bottles up there. So Man, then, uh, it's good. It was so good. I would just say, you know, read the label. <laughs> look at the bottle you're choosing. <laughs> but it was really good. It yeah, was we, very we well used worth the it. black label, then the standard red and the standard green. So three yeah. different levels of hot there. Yeah, it's good though. That was a nice change too. It was. We and had enchiladas for like our Christmas dinner. You can get them at most. Uh, you can get the you can you can take a hot sauce at most of the grocers out there. I know Walmart has them, Target has mm-hmm. them, Meyer has it. But if your grocer does not have it, go to lyucateco.com and you can get 10% off of your entire purchase by using the promo code HILLBILLYHORROR. So there you go. Yeah. Get that little pocket thing. It's so fun. Yeah, it's like a little clip-on that, you know, like people, like you see a lot of women with See that? I'm like, I just clip-on don't of antibacterial yes. on their purse. You can do that with the hot that sauce. That is so genius. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I know we're still wrapping on about this commercial, but... There's been a lot of times that I've gone to restaurants and they have these other sauces and there's, you know, that I just don't like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? This way you have what you love and you can just pull it right on out. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Tracy, tonight's story. It's, it's sad on, on so many different levels. No, oh, I don't like sad stories. This is definitely a multi, multi-part story story as far as the different facets most of you may be familiar with our story as it pertains to the actual poltergeist activity mm-hmm. but you may not know the before and the after which we're going to cover all of that tonight i remember this story when it first happened in 1984 and that's mainly because of a picture that made headlines around the world okay mm-hmm. it was of a 14 year old girl by the name of tina resch And she was sitting in a chair, and a telephone receiver was stretched all the way out in midair without anybody holding it. So just did you say receiver? Yes. What did you say? Telephone receiver. Oh, you mean like the The kind that was connected to the the cord, like in the old days? Yes, yes. This was 1984, so theoretically, this was. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I already graduated high school and everything. Dang. (laughs) So, anyways, this picture made its rounds, obviously, and of course. That was a corded telephone, so it was you could see the cord completely stretched out, which was the main deal. Now, I myself had been dealing with um, a fair amount of paranormal activity in my own home for the previous two years, so this story kind of hit literally close to home for me. So the story was so big that it, it kind of made local news, but then it hit national news when the family held a press conference. Think about that. How you know t- what I'm thinking about? That hair on your face? No, I'm thinking about how that ghost stretched that cord out. Because those cords are a pain in the butt. Do you feel me? I do feel you. You know how you have to unravel those stinking phone cords? And she was probably like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. All right. So anyways, like I said, most of the time you have paranormal activity. It's not that big of a story to where it makes the ne- the rounds oh. and you h- held a press conference at your Heck house. No, that's crazy. For 40 different n- news entities. That's how many people showed up at this press conference. You mean conference. 40 different news people came? Yes. Oh, dang. Thus, news entities. Well, I don't know. Why do you call it a news entity? <laughs> Why don't you just say news newscaster? So news... You, you struggled to even come up with a word. Just let me do the writing. 
And if you want to call them newscasters, you call them newscasters. I chose entities because it sounded better. Fancy. <laughs> okay. All right. So <laughs> what we're going to do here is something we usually don't do, but I want to listen to a clip that was from WCMH in Columbus, their television station, in 1984, right after this press conference. A 14-year-old Columbus girl who was abandoned at Children's Hospital when she was just 10 months old is tonight being talked about by people all over the country. The home of Tina Rush and her adopted family has become for them a house of horror. Drinking glasses are flying out of the cupboards. Chairs are spinning. Eggs are flying out of the refrigerator. Uh, this is uh, what witnesses describe seeing. Yeah, sounds so hard to believe, doesn't it? Like, like a happening out of that movie, Poltergeist. Our Martha Sharon is just back from a news conference at the Rush's home, and I guess we have a question for you. <laughs> I'm not sure it's safe to even sit close to you. Did you see anything at all? No, actually, I was a little disappointed because I personally didn't witness anything. And that doesn't mean that things don't go on in the house, but I didn't see anything. And so if the force is there, it was not performing when I was there. It's called psychokinesis, a phenomenon that allows people to unconsciously move things around. Now there are about a half dozen cases like this reported each year. Most involve teenagers. The average age is 14. It's more prevalent in girls than in boys and in teenagers who are trying to deal with some kind of a pressure or tension. And Tina fits all these categories. Tina is adopted and for nearly two years now she has tried to find her natural mother. She says she feels frustrated, anxious, and this may be the stress, the pent-up tension experts say triggers books to fly off the shelves, pictures to fly off walls. But for now, Tina can't explain it. I don't know what I think, I don't know. All this psychokinetic activity started Saturday night at the dinner table. At first, uh, just things were just going on and off and then it seemed as though there were power surges causing it. And then we went around and took switches and turned the lights off and taped them down even, and they would come loose and turn on. No one was around. The garbage disposal would turn on and off. Even unplugged appliances turned on. And the interesting thing about it is that when Tina is not in the house, everything goes back to normal. Tina is staying with friends for the time being. She's moved out of her room. But the minute she walks back into the house, watch out. We've hid pictures, we've packed up stuff and put it in the basement and tried to eliminate a lot of the problems we were having at first. But they still are happening once Tina comes in the house. So nothing has worked. The house has even been blessed by the Risha's minister. But the energy, the power, the force, whatever and however you want to explain it, it's still there. The next up for the Rishas are going to get some professional help. And from everything that I've read and heard, she may just outgrow this, although her parents are saying that they're starting to get used to the furniture moving around and things changing. No one has been injured yet by anything flying. You believe it? In many ways, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it's possible. She's covered other stories like that. So as I was saying before the clip, I was aware of all the paranormal activity. So this that part there, like from the news conference, I remember all that mm -hmm. when it happened. So no big deal there. Deal there. You remember that when it happened? Yes, I was only I was like sixteen, and like I said, this was back in the days where they didn't have all these ghost adventures and all yeah, that stuff. None of the and ghost we were hunters. dealing. I'd been dealing with all this crap at the house for like two years at this point. This oh, was so still, that must really catch yeah, so your when, attention. So this was something that was like, yeah, when this comes on, this is like, hey, this is not something I normally yeah. hear about, and this is kind of the things that not necessarily stuff that's going on in our house. We didn't have stuff flying around the house and stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, anyway, it did grab my attention. What I was not aware of was that Tina Resch obviously had a a horrible childhood leading up to that Aww. and she had a, some very 
uh, tragic things happened in her life since then. So all I will say is that this woman has had one hell of a life. Oh, bless her heart. Let's learn a little bit about Tina Resch. She was born on October 23rd, 1969. At 10 months old, she was abandoned in a hospital, Aww. emergency room. All attempts to trace down her mother failed. Well, I wonder why she was in the emergency room. I don't know. At 10 months old. I mean, she could have just met, might have just been where her mom brought her. Might, might not oh, have been from I'll an get, illness. She okay. might have just figured that would be a place where... They would take care of yeah, her. Yeah, they would take care of her. Yeah. So two years later, she was adopted by Joan and John Resch. John and Joan were very well known in the Columbus area and had raised several foster children over the years. We're going to get into how many later. Joan and John Resch were very strict disciplinarians, including beatings of children, which... 1984, this was something that was no big deal. I mean, not necessarily child abuse, but if you wanted to whip your kid, you could whip your your child. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Bless her heart. According to Joan Resch, Tina was a child that had several behavior issues. Tina was humiliated by teachers and students from four different schools, and she was eventually pulled out of school in the fourth grade. I guess to be homeschooled or whatever. I guess. I mean, that's that's pathetic that she can't even go to school. The odd thing was that she had no issues at all at church and went to church on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, everywhere else she had behavior issues, but at church she did not. Tina struggled at home. She often felt ignored. This was compounded by the death of her best friend in a car accident. Tina felt completely abandoned after the loss of her friend. Hmm. She then began a, a desperate search to find her birth mother. The Russians, on the other hand, were totally against this and would not allow Tina to see her birth certificate. Okay, now how old was she at this point? Do you 14. know? Oh, okay, 14. Okay. So now let's move on to the paranormal events that pretty much made Tina a, a worldwide sensation. Most of the accounts that we're going to talk about tonight come from parapsychologist William Rowe, who very well known. We've talked about him several times on the show. And interviews with the Resch family that was done by by a reporter by the name of Mike Hardy, who was a local reporter but a very good friend uh, of the family there, the Resch's. Mike, like I said, was local. Uh, He was with the Columbus Dispatch. He got involved with this case from the very beginning. The poltergeist activity began on March 1st, 1984, and it was following an argument between then 14-year-old Uh, Tina and her mother, Joan. Now, Joan instructed her husband to whip Tina for talking back to her. Now, usually Tina would just take the punishment, but not on this occasion. She even went as far as to grab a knife from the kitchen to protect herself. A little later that evening, Tina was laying in bed, and she noticed that the digital numbers on the clock, her alarm clock that she had, we're like just changing at rapid pace. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. click, 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 click. The radio then started blasting music and she couldn't get it to stop. Every time she turned it off, it come right back on. So eventually, she just got up and unplugged it. The next day, Joan was fixing dinner when she heard a heart monitor go off that was attached to an, uh, an invalid infant that they were caring for. When she went and checked the baby, everything was completely fine. Just to be safe, Joan called a serviceman, and he came out. He replaced the monitor, but the problem persisted. So now we got a new monitor, and the same thing's happening. Later that evening, Joan says that she briefly saw what appeared to be a dark shadow in the living room. The following morning, there were more surprises. 
the TV and the living room light turned off and on both at different times. So it wasn't like a glitch in the electric where both of them went off and both yeah. of them went off. They came on and off at different times. Oh, that's weird. The door on the dryer started to open and shut on its own. At one point, it opened and then it slammed shut and then the dryer turned itself on. Now, the dryer had not been on before. So, you know, sometimes like if it, if you've got the dryer turned on, the door pops open because maybe there are too many clothes or something. Mm-hmm. There. If you just shut it, it turns itself right back on. That wasn't the case here. The dryer wasn't on at all. So when the door slammed, it shouldn't have turned on. Yeah, and sometimes like our dryer <clears throat> door is hard to, right. I feel like it's hard to open. So at first, Joan thought that Tina might have been messing with her. So she requested that Tina stay where she could see her. Mm-hmm. Both were in the same room when they heard the dryer turn on again. Then the garbage disposal turned on. Once again, Tina in the same room. Finally, every faucet in the house turned on at the same time. Now, what's Joan saying? All with Tina right there in her vision. So Joan called for a family meeting in the living room. It said that the whole family watched the minute hand on the clock that was on the wall Mm -hmm. spin like it was a propeller on an airplane. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. John Resch felt that there must be some sort of reasonable explanation, so he called an electrician to come check out most of the problems that they were having. Mm -hmm. Electrician witnessed light switches moving up and down on their own accord on the wall. He even put tape over top of the switches, and the tape would disappear. Oh, my Lord. Electrical items in the house would run even after being unplugged. The Rush's son, Craig... He witnessed artwork and furniture moving, and he even saw a dark shadow himself. The disturbances became so bad that on one occasion, the police were called. While the police were there, a metal pan flew out of a room, causing an officer to draw his gun. (laughs) I'm going to shoot you, pot. Like skeet shooting. (laughs) Other strange occurrences, including watching a stick of butter move on the counter slowly till it got to the edge. And then two eggs came through the refrigerator door. Somebody's hungry. Yeah, I think that was the point. You're going to make a grilled cheese eggs. and egg sandwich. Yeah. John Resch was that still skeptical, yummy. and he felt that Tina was to blame. That was until some furniture started violently moving while Tina was at church. How in the world could he blame her? Why, where was this stupid mother at that said, John, hello, she was beside me the whole time. <laughs> I don't know. So word was starting to spread by now. Neighbors and family members from all over the place kind of started to visit the house to try to catch a glimpse of what was happening. A pastor attempted to do a blessing to no avail. A Mormon exorcism also failed. And the occurrences started to become more violent. Objects would fly in the air and strike Tina, including at one point in time, a knife. Oh, my gosh. They need to get the heck up out of there. At one point, she was pinned to the ground under a table. Tina noticed that she started having headaches and stomach aches that only seemed to develop during the times this poltergeist activity was happening. You know, hasn't this poor child been through enough? Then they have to go through this crap? The Rushers were so concerned that they had their three youngest foster children temporarily placed in other homes. On March 5th, John Resch... He asked reporter Mike Harden if he knew any experts in the paranormal field that he could possibly call on to help. And we mentioned 
Mike Harden earlier in the story. And the reason that the, the Russians felt so comfortable confiding in him is the fact that he had written some stories on them in the past for the Columbus Dispatch newspaper. Now, we also said that the Russians had fostered many children. And when I say many, how many do you think they fostered? How many children over the years do you think the Russians had fostered to have a story written on them? Mm-hmm. 100. 250 children is how many children. Think about that. That is a lot of kids. Yeah. Mike Harden comes out to the house, and he experienced a few things for himself. Then Harden contacted photographer Fred Shannon. He got him involved, hoping that he might be able to capture some of this activity on film. Now, this was a little harder than what they hoped it would be. Shannon said that he couldn't manage to catch anything when he was holding his camera directly, like looking Mm -hmm. through it. But if he lowered it, or if he looked away, he would see something, but it was too late at that point to, to catch a picture. He later said that he felt like that something in the house was preventing him from getting an accurate picture, some force in the house. So he decided to set the camera up, aimed directly at Tina. He would look away, and when he saw some kind of motion from the corner of his eye, then he would snap a photo. That was his way of trying to get around it. One of the pictures that he got was the infamous telephone picture. Oh! He actually got two of them. He's got two different pictures. One, I guess he took them rapid fire because one, the the phone is at a certain level, about even with her leg, and then the next one, it's a foot and a half, two feet further across. But I'll oh post, my gosh, that's so I'll cool! I'll post both of those pictures tonight. Unlike last week when I said I would post the angel picture and didn't. Oh, you didn't? No, I'll post that one too when I get off here. I'll post both of those. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> On March, on March 6th, that picture and Harden's story were actually published in the Columbus Dispatch. Papers all over the world then picked it up and they ran the article. The family spent three days in a hotel with no occurrences from that point on, only to have all the occurrences start reconvening as soon as they returned home. Oh, God, that's annoying. On March 8th, they held the press conference with 40 members of the media and in attendance, and that's the uh, the press conference that we played the clip from earlier, mm-hmm. or at least the reporter had just returned back from, mm-hmm. we played the clip in. At the actual press conferences, the reporters were there for eight hours, but nothing was seen or heard. Don't so, that suck? That sucks. <laughs> Drew Haddell of WTVN-TV in Columbus was the only reporter who felt like that they actually got lucky. Mm -hmm. He said a lamp fell over to the floor, and after carefully watching the footage, it was seen that Tina yanked the lamp to the floor. So once news of this got out, the media quickly ascertained that this case was a hoax, and most of the, the media around the country just quit even following it. I mean, I can see their point why they would feel that way, but... I mean, the police officer saw all this stuff, and I mean... Well, and then when they asked Tina about it, about... The lamp? The lamp. She said, I just wanted them to see something so they would go home. Oh. You know, that she'd been there for... They'd been there for eight hours. She was tired. And so she's saying that's not what normally happens, but... Yeah. That's what she felt like she just needed to do to get people to go home. Well, I mean, you can't blame her. Now, we said most of the media thought this was a hoax, but this didn't pertain to Harden or Shannon... They had their own experiences there at the house, so they were true believers. Mm -hmm. Harden reached out to William Rowe, who was the director of Psychical Research Foundation. William Rowe was working at Duke University at the Parapsychological Laboratory. 
Now, Rowe was an experienced investigator of poltergeist-type phenomenon. He had uh, pretty much coined the term recurring spontaneous psychokinesis, or RSPK for short. This basically was the theory that a person was at the center of the activity, or at least unconsciously the, the center, causing Those most, things to happen. most of these things to happen. Because remember, we've spoken several times on this show about poltergeist mm-hmm. and that a lot of times it pertains to a child that's in puberty or yeah. something that usually it's a, a, a young female what have you he's the one that came up with that entire theory before that it was just like i said the, the name poltergeist is german for basically noisy spirit mm-hmm. so most people thought a poltergeist was just a ghost that was um like to wreak havoc like to play around a little bit play some jokes like in the movie Poltergeist, where all the chairs turn end up on the table, top of the table thing. That's the kind of stuff that most people thought a ghost was doing. To where William Rose, the one that said, "No, I think there's a person, and they're mentally causing this to happen because of anguish in their life, or like I said, emotions high because of puberty, whatever the situation was." So that's that's all his theory. So now he's involved. He wanted Tina to begin uh, be examined, first of all, by a neurologist to make sure there wasn't anything physically uh, going on with her brain that could be causing this. He also agreed to visit the house with one of his assistants by the name of Kelly Powell, and she was also a trained clinical psychologist. They met at the house on March 11th. Roe got statements from several of the witnesses of what they had seen. And the first few incidents that Roe actually saw for himself, he found possible normal explanations. So he wasn't just accepting everything as poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. First couple of things, he was like, yeah, you know what? I think I know what might be the reason for that. So we'll kind of dismiss that. Now, usually uh, these were actions by Tina. Similar to the lamp incident, William Rowe felt like that there were things moving and stuff that Tina was actually causing more because she was pushing or pulling. But that Tina actually felt that the items were moving, not by her, but they were just, so her belief was they were moving, but he felt like there was a chance that she could be physically doing it, even though she didn't realize she was physically oh, doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So Kelly Powers, on the other hand, experienced a few occurrences that Tina could not have been responsible for. On March 13th, Roland Power left the house for just a short period of time. When they returned home, they were informed that the phenomenon had become so intense that the family was super scared even more than they had been before his arrival. So Roe got on the phone. He wanted to make arrangements for Tina to be tested at the Parapsychological Center in North Carolina. So while he was on the phone, William Roe experienced a screeching sound mm. coming through the phone on the Rush's telephone that had been something that was commonplace ever since these this activity started. So, oh, so that had happened before. Yes, ever saying. since these, that was a thing, I guess every time they were using the phone, these screeches and stuff would come through the phone. Well, apparently these uh, poltergeists or whatever don't know how to become famous when they do it when everybody leaves. Right. So nobody could see them doing it. On March 14th, Roland Power witnessed a teacup move with no one around it. He recorded 15 different movements of objects in a 52-minute 50, period. He also recorded six unexplained sounds in the exact same period of time. Not only had he kept his eye on Tina to make sure that she had no involvement in these situations, he had actually handled three of these objects beforehand earlier just to make sure that there was no uh, trick devices or anything. Mm-hmm. In 
The testing was to see if Tina had psychokinetic ability. These tests had mixed results. The very first one they did showed that she was two times more likely to have ability than the average person with no ability. Oh. A test on March 29th at the Institute for Parapsychology showed that her result as being no better than the average person with no abilities. She accidentally broke her leg and had to return home before any other test could be performed. In October, there was a second set of tests. Tina was put under hypnosis, and while under hypnosis, objects were seen flying in the air. One with about 40 foot in the air before it landed, and some actually had said went around corners. There were three things that seemed to suppress the activity with Tina. When Tina was asleep, there was no activity. When cameras were filming, there was basically no activity. And deliberate attempts to catch or cause the psychokinesis, it pretty much failed. So anytime she was under the under the pressure to perform... Yeah, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. But it just happened when she was unaware, which is why it happened during the yeah, hypnosis. Because right. she wasn't really asleep then. Oh my gosh, this poor child. The testing also revealed something else. Signs of neglect and an abusive past. Mm-hmm. There were also emotional reactions that were more typical of a much younger child. So even though she was 14, she had the emotions of a lot younger person And as far as reactions. There were more tests in July of 1985, but nothing significant came of these tests either. The neurological test that we talked about, they did find a problem with her brainstem, and she was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. Are you kidding me? No. I just want to find her and just hug her neck so hard. Well. And she did? No. No. Roe thinks that this could manifest physically as RSPK, but it's not proven to Mm -hmm. be a fact. Now, I want to take this time to talk about the Amazing Randy. Are you aware of who the Amazing Randy is? I don't know. Is he a magician? Yes, actually he is, and, and he's involved heavily in this case. Oh, yeah, and I just the, took a guess. I had the Amazing Randy's actually real name was James Randy, and he was a very well-known magician at this time, especially. he. I think he actually died a couple of years, but I don't, I don't know that. Don't hold me to it. Much like Houdini during his time, Amazing Randy made it his lifelong duty to prove that there was no such thing as paranormal activity. He had an ongoing deal where he consistently offered $10,000 to anybody that could prove that paranormal activity existed. He was also kind of a jerk about it. He was part of the newly found Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. And they're basically their job was just to go out and shoot down everything that was coming mm. out that could be paranormal. Randy was given the job to investigate, and he showed up at the Russia's home unannounced on March 13, 1984, with two other investigative reporters and a television crew. Then he starts waving a $10,000 check around on, out on the lawn of the Reshes, and he tells the Resh family that he could give them that check if they could somehow prove and show him the paranormal activity that they're experiencing was genuine, and as long as he considered it genuine, he would give them the check. Well, Joan Resh was really offended by this, <laughs> and she let the other two investigators actually in, but told the amazing Randy... He could not be in. And she said, it's already a circus here. We don't need a magic show, too. <laughs> hmm. Now, according to, to the amazing Randy, he says that Roe pretty much urged Joan not to let him in because he didn't want 
this to be proven wrong because Roe wanted to prove that it was accurate and didn't want this guy to, to be an adversary to him. But Roe says that it was all Joan's idea. She just didn't want him in there. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows what the real case was. So Randy was hell-bent to show that Tina did all of this for, for attention, basically, and that there was no paranormal activity happening at the house at all. Since Randy wasn't allowed in, he decided that he was going to interview all the reporters who had been at the press conference and see what their thoughts were. Now, the Columbus Dispatch had flown William Rowe up to the house to investigate, so mm-hmm. you know what side they were on. Yeah. They were definitely on his side, mm-hmm. and they don't want this guy proving them wrong anyway. But they ran a story with a picture of, of Randy and his crew standing out on the front lawn of, of the Rush's house, and they talked about how Rush had been denied entrance into the house. So the newspaper uh, article said that it would gladly share the contact sheet with Randy and anyone else to prove that this was an actual case of paranormal activity. And a contact sheet, uh, for people who are unaware, when uh, Fred Shannon like took all these pictures of mm-hmm. going on, he turns in all of the pictures. The paper might only choose to use one or two, mm-hmm. but they show all of the pictures on this contact sheet. It's basically just a sheet of picture after picture after yeah. picture. And it's almost the same as the negatives, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's what he wanted. He wanted all of the pictures, not just the one or two of the phone. He wanted to see all the pictures. And he went to the newspaper and he bought the contact sheet. Well, this is where it gets strange. Before he could even leave, the paper uh, editor comes out and says, I changed my mind. I want that contact paper back. And Randy says, well, that's not going to happen because I paid for it. Here's my receipt. This is my contact paper, and I'm leaving with it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) he was told that, you know what, Um, that's not going to be the case. So the editor called security and told security, he said, hey, this guy has property that I want back. So Randy looked at the guy at security and said, here's my receipt paid for it. This is my property. I'm leaving with it. And if you try to stop me, I will sue the asses off of both of you. Okay. So needless to say, he left with the he, stuff. He put the receipt in the paper and he walked out. In the spring of 1985, Randy actually wrote an article for Skeptical Magazine and explained that the unpublished pictures showed Tina in very compromising positions. <gasps> and it definitely made her look like that she possibly threw the phone if you look at the angle of her arm and all oh, this. Oh, and then somebody the, took a picture while I was in midair? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the pictures, because it took several pictures and they only posted the one, well, it looks like that maybe a couple of pictures before that look like you could see where her hand was positioned that maybe she had thrown the phone. Now, you didn't see the phone in her hand, uh-huh. actually, but it looked like, oh, this is close enough where this could be iffy. So the newspaper decided that when this article in Skeptical Magazine that they told him if they posted those pictures, they were going to sue him. So Randy had to have somebody draw pictures of the pictures that he had, and they ran those instead, the drawings. But if they were close enough, they were close enough to the actuals where people got the gist of it. Now, because she'd been caught with the lamp already, and now this looked compromising, this was kind of enough where most people said, you know what, uh, it looks like this is a hoax. Mm-hmm. So we got the pictures now, and we have the other lamp thing. And the only thing we're really hanging our hat on is some people's eyewitness accounts, which you can't prove, and this picture, which looks like it might have been fake too. 
So that's kind of, uh, of the way the case has been seen in history from that point on. All right, so with that being said, let's talk about what happened after all the film crews and stuff are gone and this story died down. Unfortunately, Tina would attempt suicide at the age of 15. All this happened when she was 14, remember? Oh, man. She was kicked out of her home by the Rushes at the age of 16. It was later that we learned that while she was at the Rushes, she had been sexually abused by an older brother. She avoided juvenile hall by actually getting married at the age of 16, unfortunately, to an abusive man. She got divorced a year later. Then she got into another relationship in which she gave birth to a daughter named Amber on September 29, 1988, at the age of 18 years old. So she went through um, several relationships and stuff after that. Most of these were to abusive boyfriends, and she changed her name to Christine Boyer. William Rowe had moved his parapsychological research center to West Georgia College, and he was there when he was contacted by Christine in 1990. He persuaded her to move down closer to him. So she moved down to Carrollton, Georgia, and he started working with her again. Rowe wrote a book called Unleashed, and in that book he remarked that Amber, which is her daughter, mm-hmm. would would misbehave in the presence of Tina basically to get her reaction. And he felt that the baby was more or less convinced that physical punishment from her mother was the way that the, her mother showed that she really cared for. Her. Oh my So gosh. even at the age of three years old, Aww. this girl was already continuing, I guess, feeling like that if she was punished and whipped or whatever, that she would do something to basically get whipped just to feel mm. like that was her mother's love. That's terrible. Obviously, these are signs that of Tina's upbringing and everything mm-hmm. that had went wrong in her childhood. She's carried this on with her own daughter. So Tina and Amber started spending time at Tina's new boyfriend. His name was David Heron. And he had a trailer that was about 10 miles right outside of Carrollton where she was living. Mm-hmm. They started spending a lot of time there. On April 14, 1992... Three-year-old Amber died while she was in the care of Tina's boyfriend, David Heron. It was determined that she died from blunt force trauma and had also been sexually abused. Oh, my gosh. At the time of the murder, Tina was visiting a counselor that she had befriended during the testing with William Rowe in the earlier years. Despite the fact that Tina had a solid alibi, and she was not at the home at the time of the, the murder. She was charged for murder and was held in jail for two and a half years before her trial. Okay, why? I'll How is that. that possible? I'll get into that. Her attorney convinced her to take an Alfred plea, even though Roe had begged her to fight the charges. Do you know what an Alfred plea is? I mean, I've heard of it. She took an Alfred plea to avoid the death penalty, first of all. So this was her reason to do it, because she was up for the death penalty in in the state of Georgia. An Alfred plea basically means you admit that they have enough evidence to convict you of being guilty, 
but you're innocent. You want to you want to maintain your innocence, but you admit they probably have enough evidence. Okay, that is so, the stupidest so thing that's I've ever what heard an of. Alfred plea is. An Alfred plea is I'm still saying I'm innocent, but I know you pretty much have enough to uh, evidence to convict me of being guilty. So by doing that, if they ju- if she doesn't do that and they just convict her of being guilty, she could get the death penalty. But by taking the Alfred plea, she basically pleads guilty and doesn't get the death penalty. Okay, but that makes no sense. She wasn't there. All right. Well, we're going to get into that. David Heron took a plea deal and was charged with cruelty to children. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was released, by the way, November 2011. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Christina is still in prison today. Mm-mm-mm. He committed the actual murder. That and is, he's, he, got, he got out of jail nine years ago. She's still in jail. Here's the answer to your question. Why? Why is she in jail? Why was she arrested? Why was she held a murder? The first was that she failed to seek immediate medical attention when she got home because her daughter wasn't dead when she got home. She obviously had some injuries. She didn't seek medical attention because she was afraid that the state would take her baby away from her. So that was the first thing that when she realized there was an issue, she did not take the baby to the hospital. Also, she had left the baby with David on several different days during this whole time. And every time she would return home, there was a different injury. And David would always say, oh, well, this was because of this or this was because of that. It was always some different excuse for the injury she had. So they felt like, look, you knew these things were happening. You kept leaving your baby with him. So ultimately, it's your fault. You might not have been there. You might not have been the one to cause the blunt force trauma, but you kept this baby in harm's way. And then when you got home and seen that she was badly hurt, you didn't take her to the hospital. That's why she got... Now, I personally still feel like there's no way that she should have more time than the guy who actually committed the murder. No, I agree. But But that's not good on her either. No. For sure. It's not. Now, you want to know the ironic part about all this? That day when Amber was killed, I told you that she was visiting a counselor, one that, you know, Mm -hmm. she had known. This was another parapsychological counselor. And they were there discussing writing her memoirs about her being the 14-year-old at the center of the Columbus poltergeist case. So when it all comes full circle, it still goes back to the time where the, the paranormal events happened in her life, even though that had been so many years before her leaving her child so she could go back and still discuss this. So who knows what happened at that time? I'm a firm believer that most of this paranormal stuff did happen. And I'll tell you why I think that, because her parents were strict disciplinarians. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they would have came on record with the reputation that they had in town. I've never seen them try to, uh, anything that's saying they tried to seek any kind of financial gain from this. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fact that they both said what they saw, the reporter, what he saw, the cameraman, and then what supposedly happened at the testing, I just believe that all this did go on. And, I, and she went through so much stuff as a as a child and, and an adolescent that 
that's a prime example of where you would see this type of activity because look what her must have been going on in her mind on a regular basis. And if she was being sexually assaulted and she was getting beatings on a regular basis, uh, she wasn't being allowed to even find out who her birth mother were. This was all being withheld. This young lady had a lot of rage in her, in yeah. her body. Yeah. That's just a horrible. It's just hard to believe that one person has to endure so much awfulness in their life. I mean, it's like she couldn't catch a break nowhere. Yeah, it's very bad. That's so terrible. And that poor child. Oh. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we've got some uh, exciting stuff to talk about, and uh, you know, we'll do a little housekeeping and stuff, and some thank yous and stuff for you guys, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, Tracy. A couple quick things before we get into the iTunes reviews and the Patreon. First and foremost, we've been teasing this for a while. We have the first episode, which will be here on the podcast in just audio form on uh, the 6th, which is Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So that's coming out of Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. Super excited to bring this to you guys. Uh, Tim has done an excellent job on the video. So if you go to YouTube and subscribe to our page, please, this would help us. We need a thousand subscribers uh, to be able to do some certain things on YouTube. And uh, we're at about the 500 mark. If you will please go look up Hillbilly Dead Time Stories and subscribe. Even if you're not going to watch it, even if it's just something that's YouTube's not your cup of tea, if you could do this, it would really help us out. And, it, you know, we would greatly appreciate that. Yeah. But, but you should watch the video. It's really cool, <clears throat> yeah, actually. The, Tim did a great job. Tim did a great job on it. We've let about 10 or 12 people mm -hmm. see it already to get their reactions. Everybody just absolutely loved it. I'm extremely proud of it. I know Tim's proud of it. And uh, so that'll be out on Wednesday on the YouTube channel. So you can check it out there and you just listen to the audio. But either way, you don't have to see the video because the audio covers everything. We did it that way purposely. So it's, you know, but if you want to see the video, it adds a whole different dimension. to mm -hmm. it. So go do that. Also, you can follow us on TikTok, Hillbilly Horror Stories. Just some fun stuff we're throwing out there. Uh, nothing major yet, but we're, we're having some fun with it. We're learning. We're not, we're not, we're <laughs> I not. have no idea. I mean, until this day still, I'm like, what the heck? Is, you know, I, I hear about it, but she I'm like. She keeps talking about TikTok. She's like, your breast's fine. I'm like, it's not what it is. And <laughs> 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 you know, hopefully we'll get Tracy doing some rapping or something on there. We'll I think I will. It looks pretty fun. Yeah, well, I can't even get you to do that. Look. Tracy DC. I'm going to do that. I am. All right. We'll see. I'm going to do that. I promise you. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of gangsta lately. Whatever. <laughs> what do we got as far as uh, the iTunes reviews and the uh, we had a special we had a special iTunes review this week. So, what do you got for that? Well, we had a lot of wonderful, wonderful reviews. Thank you guys so much, um, Bethany Gamble, Red Spectra two two one. K Cummings, Calm Mom Five, Mojo Lobster, and Pink Cow Eighty Four. Thank you guys. You guys are so awesome. It just warms my heart every time we look at those reviews. And we just appreciate them so much. And then Patreons, we had Little Miss Amy today. Thank you, beautiful, for your support with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, please keep in mind that Patreon. We do a bunch of extra episodes on there, and you can get into. Uh, Four mini episodes a month, and plus uh, ad-free episodes. We even take out the you could take old stuff for just a dollar a month. Yeah, so you can try it, and if you don't like it, you can always opt out. It's not yep. you know, and uh, like I said, tons of bonus. We do 
it goes up to fifteen dollars there's like five different tiers but you can get as many as 24 bonus episodes a month short ones and two full-length episodes if you're on the upper tier plus discounts of merchandise and all that stuff so tracy there was we we love all of our reviews trust me oh my god yes there's so we we don't take any of them lightly anytime you're going to take the time to pick up your phone or excuse me pick up your tablet or whatever the case is and, and take the time to write us a review that's awesome we couldn't be happier with that being said we had one that kind of warmed our hearts a little more than normal this one's headline was this show saved my life so we had a really nice review and it was titled this show saved me i have been listening to the backlog of hillbilly horror stories for about three months now and i have enjoyed every single second not to get too deep or emotional but i experienced a really traumatic incident earlier in the year dealing with an issue of race this incident put me in a horrible pit of depression and i even came close to ending my life luckily i came across jerry and tracy and they have given me something to smile about every day and got me out of that dark place also hearing jerry's story about his battle with depression motivated me even more to better myself I'm still getting caught up, and I sure can't wait. But I wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I fully enjoy all the research you do and the great joke that Tracy adds. The dry humor is the best. I will become a Patreon soon because I want to support the show even more, and hopefully I can give you guys a few stories I have from my time working in security at an extremely haunted, insane asylum. Sorry for the long review, but thank you again and love you both. Ooh. That, those stories right there, and, and we get a lot of these things. Some of them hit, hit closer to home or mm-hmm. warm the heart a little more than others. But those type of things are the reason that we put forth as much effort as we do into the show. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, was really a nice review. And, you know, thank you for being so sweet. And we just appreciate it because, you know, it's like Jerry said, that stuff touches our hearts. And, you know, if we've helped anybody in the least little way, I mean, that means more to us than anything in this whole entire world. So thank you for your nice review. And just remember, we're always here. I always got something stupid to say. So (laughs) (laughs) and just letting you know, there's probably a lot more to come. So, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. So. Thanks to all of you for a fantastic 2020, which, look, uh, 2020 was bad in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But for us, there was a lot of good that came out of it. Yeah. We became full-time podcasters because of you guys. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that we're never going to be able to forget. I mean, it takes a lot of work to keep it there, obviously. And, you know, you guys are so appreciative of the things that we do and that motivates us. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to say thank you for an awesome year. Even though it wasn't awesome in every aspect, it was awesome in a lot of ways because of you guys. Yeah, and I just want to say that you helped me out more than you even know because I lost my job this year because of COVID. And it was it took a toll on me because I really didn't see it coming. And, you know, I've been at this place for five years. So you guys, more than you know, helped me get through this year as well because i like i say i really had a hard time with accepting it 
but if it weren't for you guys, I swear I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know. But we are very grateful for you guys. More, Like I say, more than you'll ever know. So I don't always try to put my issues out there, but... Yeah, and we just, like I said, we, we just made the decision at that time that, you know, hey, we, we can make this work. Yeah. So. And we couldn't do it without you guys. Absolutely. So just thank you from the bottom of our hearts. All right. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Don't forget to subscribe. Yeah. Hillbilly Dead Time Stories.